we are all in a terminal condition and that terminal condition is is life. And so why why are we approaching life as if we'll be healthy forever when you know we could we could die at any moment and just having a sense of clarity because death gives us this immense perspective of what is important to me. Hi everyone, and welcome to the One Mind Meditation Podcast. My name is Morgan Dix, and this is a podcast about meditation, mindfulness, and your health. Today, I am delighted to share my interview with Kate Manser from YouMightDieTomorrow.com. I love this interview. This was really, really beautiful. Kate has an eye-opening perspective on mortality, and I thought that you all would love to hear what she has to say. She's based over at YouMightDieTomorrow.com, and I highly recommend you check out her deathbed meditations and reach out to her either on Facebook or Instagram or through her website and check it out. We go really deeply into her deathbed meditations during this podcast. I think you're going to find it very compelling. It's a real perspective shifter. And of course, who doesn't need a perspective shifter among us? We all do. We all do. So without further ado, I give you my interview with Kate Manser. Okay, Kate, welcome to the One Mind Podcast. I am thrilled and honored to have you join us today, and uh, welcome. Thank you very much, Morgan. It's a pleasure to be here. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. And everybody, Kate reached out to me and um, told me a little bit about her work online. She just shared a little bit about what she was doing, and it was very compelling to me. Her brand is You Might Die Tomorrow. Dot com and she leads these extraordinary things called deathbed meditations and that's just one element of the work but uh, meditation on mortality is something I've been thinking about a lot so when Kate reached out to me I kind of jumped at the opportunity to talk with her about it and that's really the genesis of today's interview and so Kate I think you know what I love to do is first if you could give everyone just like a one to two minute like encapsulation of your brand and what you're doing and then I think let's dive into your story I'd love to know like for you where did all this start and I know there's a deep backstory here so I'd I'd love to get into details of that after you just give everyone a little glimpse of, of what you're doing absolutely so there's actually a pretty good life story that I will share momentarily, but just to kind of encapsulate, like you said, you know, really the concept of you might die tomorrow. And the goal of it is to help people understand that thinking about your death help, reminds you to live and actually makes your life better. And that's counterintuitive to what most people think. I'm certainly not the only one talking about death in terms of making making your life better 
But I think that I'm one more voice that's saying, you know, a very realistic voice that says, hey, you might die tomorrow. And that can actually be a very freeing concept. Mm. And so through the deathbed meditation, through the brand, which I have stickers and other things, as well as the blog and the interviews that I do, the goal is to help the everyday person live more urgently, uh, love more openly, and really just enjoy life because that's why we're here, I think. Mm. Beautiful. Well, thank you. All right. So how did you get into this? What, where did it all begin? Well, uh, you know, I'm just a regular person, just like everybody else. And uh, I just happened to come across this idea through some experiences, which was, I never really thought about death very much. Um, and then about four years ago, I experienced, uh, the, the deaths, very sudden and tragic deaths of a few people in my life. My boss at Google, uh, was killed very suddenly in a uh, cliff diving accident. I had a a friend from college who was uh, killed as she was walking down the street by a drunk driver. Um, And there was a couple of other ones and it just, man, it really affected me. Like, how could that, how could that not? Right. It's so sudden. Yeah. But what happened was initially I reacted with a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety. I was like, my God, if these people that I know, these young people can just lose their life so suddenly and so immediately, like, of course it could happen to me. And that actually started going into a new level and just became a major source of anxiety for me because once I got started to get preoccupied with death, it kind of spiraled out of control and it got to the point where I would be driving down the road and as I went through the intersection, I would imagine, oh my God, what if I got T-boned and I was killed on the spot in a car accident? And then I would imagine my funeral and what would happen after that and mourn the loss of my life. And I would, as I was going to sleep, I would just, I would have this thought that I would get a call that my mom or someone else that I knew died. And I would be, imagine what that would feel like and how upset I would be and how, how tragic it would be. And it got to the point where it was really just interfering with my life. I couldn't really sleep. And, um, I think this is pretty common. This happens to a lot of people. We Mm. go through this period in our life where we're just really just terrified of death. And it is a universal fear. And so this continued through my life for about a year until one day I received the news that uh, this, my colleague at Google and uh, someone I considered a friend and really an idol, uh, his name was Dan Friedenberg, and he was on his second attempt climbing Mount Everest. And I received the news that on the day of the Nepal earthquake, he was killed um, near base camp. And at that moment, I was like, my God, another tragedy. How do I handle this? And the first emotion that came over me was anger because the other two people who, uh, who I had lost or who had passed away suddenly were, you know, she was walking down the road and she was killed by a drunk driver. This was Dan, this wonderful, vibrant, who is also a vibrant person, but he had elected to climb Mount Everest, which is incredibly dangerous, as we all know. And I was so angry because I was like, gosh, you knew you could die. You knew that we, you know, as a world might lose you, who is a wonderful source of light and inspiration for so many people. And you did it anyway. And so at first I had that anger and then all of a sudden I just realized that he would have died either way in a sense. He would have died. He knew that he could die climbing Mount Everest. It's incredibly dangerous. Yeah. But I think in a sense he also knew that he would die in a way had he not climbed Everest. That was part of his 
you know, sense of meaning. This is part of his, you know, adventure of life. Right. And so when I realized that whether you're climbing Mount Everest or climbing the stairs, you could die either way. All of that anxiety that I had about fearing death and when it will happen and where and how just got transformed when I realized that we have absolutely no control over when this mystery moment comes. But what we do have control over is how we live until that time. Mm. So all of that fear energy for me in that moment transformed into just an incredible zeal for life and gratitude for being alive. And since then, once I had this realization of that mortality can be a source of inspiration, it's just completely and radically changed how I live in the grand scheme. I made some very large changes and I've also made what one would call small changes in the way I love, the way I share my light, the way I approach approach life in small ways as well. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'd like to share with others. How old were you when four years ago this started? Well, I, um, around that same time, I'm glad you brought that up because around the same time that I had this realization after Dan, uh, died on Everest, I happened to, and this is a little bit of a side story, but I happened to be invited by my closest friend. Her name is Melissa and her and her husband, they live on a boat in Tahiti. And for about a year prior, when I was going through a lot of that death anxiety, they had been saying, hey, come out, stay on our boat in Tahiti. It's amazing. You're going to love it. And I had come up with every excuse in the book. I don't have enough money. I don't want to be a bother. It's very far. I don't know if I can get off work. And so finally I went and I was 30 years old at the time. Mm. And in that moment, around the same time that I realized that death is absolutely a part of life and it's something that we can't control and there's really no sense in in letting it you know, be a worry in our lives. I went down to Tahiti and it was the first time in my life that I was struck with this realization that, oh my God, you can live on a boat. You could leave (laughs) everything and live on an island. I could move to Japan. It took me until I was 30 years old to finally realize that I have control over how I live my life. And so these two realizations together was really what propelled me to to radically change my life. So yeah, 30 years old, I had, uh, I guess, an awakening of sorts. And uh, man, it's just been a wonderful experience and shows that, you know, you can you can wait quite a long time in life before realizing that you don't have to follow the blueprint that most people follow or that we think we should. Right. Well, yeah. And it's unusual, I think, for someone to hit well, as you talked about it, the death anxiety, but or the mortality anxiety, I mean, that's often a hallmark of midlife, the midlife crisis. I'm 44 now, and when I told you that mortality was on my mind a lot, I think it's just the very impersonal trajectory of life and kind of reaching potentially the midpoint and looking back and being like, okay, wait a second, where am I? How did I get here? And this mm-hmm. is not going to go on forever. And I think that's a very sort of integral part of reaching your midlife and part of what f- for a lot of people is part of the midlife crisis and realizing, okay, I am going to die. And and there's a part of us up until that point that, you know, you don't really believe it. You can have all sorts of things happen, but you don't actually really connect with the reality of it and the reality of aging and death and and yeah i think it's just that simple so i was surprised to hear you say 
And just from looking at your website and seeing that you are, I guess you're about 30. And mm -hmm. I thought, wow, that's pretty remarkable to have that revelation at that age. And so then one of my questions is, when this happened for you, this flip around your friend, obviously, you know, it sounded like you you realized at that time, like, okay, he, he was going to die no matter what. I'm going to die no matter what, but he, he's going to die no matter what. And what was that like? Can you share a little bit more about, would you consider that like an awakening experience? Did you, did you feel a sort of sense of existential release? Can we hone in on that just a little bit? And, and can you say a little bit more about that? And then also you talked about these sort of both micro and macro changes that you made. And I'm really interested in hearing a little bit more about those as well. Like, oh, I mean, the macro changes are great, but I'm also curious almost more about the inner changes. Oh my goodness, yes. I think that death is a key to relief and a source of optimism and probably the best source of perspective that all humans share. Yeah. And that's why I feel so passionate about sharing this with people because this isn't something that, you know, death isn't, this is, death is something that's universal. This isn't something that you need to go out and find. This right. isn't something that you need to talk to somebody in order to get. This is something that we all grapple with already. This is something that we are all aware of to some extent and all that you need, all that one needs to do is in your own way, consider that. And in my experience, uh, in the experience that I've seen many, many times since then is that this awareness is this ultimate source of relief. Mm -hmm. And so absolutely back when I had this realization, uh, you know, the realization that, that death is something that's outside of my control, but what I can control is what's in front of me and what I do now. And really ultimately it was the realization that I could die tomorrow. Yeah. I had this huge weight come off of my shoulders and it's not, that, that death anxiety that came off my shoulders, but it's also just this sense of, you know, the mystery of death is pretty scary. I think we yeah. don't know when we don't know how, and you talked a little bit about midlife, but like, what is midlife? Like midlife for Dan was he died when he was 33. So mm -hmm. midlife for him was half of that. So quite young. Yeah. So we don't actually know when that is. I think we assume that we have, the general life, American life expectancy, which I think is somewhere around 76 yeah. right now. And uh, we might not. And for me, that initially when I was going through my death anxiety was a major source of terror was, oh my gosh, what if I don't have enough? What if I don't have that time? But once you just accept that that is a reality, then you feel a sense of urgency to make your life today. And it's very freeing. And Again, that's something that, that everyone has inside of us. And some of the changes that I experienced once I had this realization were, was, ju again, just a major sense of urgency in my life. One of the first things that I did was other than I came up with this, oh my gosh, you might die tomorrow. And I realized, oh, I think that's a book. Yeah. I think that's a book. I should write that down. And so as soon as I thought of that, I went home and I wrote this outline on this big piece of poster paper that I still have today. And the outline was just like a, 
scribbling of like, you know, drink the good wine, don't save it for 20 years from now. Um, you know, everyone is, we are all in a terminal condition and that terminal condition is, is life. And so why, why are we approaching life as if we'll be healthy forever when, you know, we could, we could die at any moment. And, just having a sense of clarity because death gives us this immense perspective of what is important to me. Yeah. And that could be different for everyone, but I've seen a lot of patterns in many of the people I've talked to and a lot of the research that I've done, which is love is important. Joy is important. Enjoying ourselves is important. Doing things that give us a sense of meaning are important, are important. Tapping into what we find meaning is important. And so those are some of the themes, letting go. All of these are things that I think people generally share. So one of the first big things I did was I had always wanted to travel. So I ended up uh, leaving my job and I went and I traveled for a couple of years and worked on the book at the time and, mm. and grew the project during that time and got got stickers all over the world. And <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but in that time, those are on your uh, website, right? The the sort of yeah. triptych with the different bumper stickers and like all over the world and exotic places. Yeah, that's exactly. very cool. Yep, there's one up on the uh, a big metal sign on the Annapurna base camp that I threw up there, and from time to time, someone will email me a photo, and I think it's like a, the corner is ripped off now, but it's still there. Awesome. And so you know, I, I put the stickers up and I talked to a lot of people. And, and one of the things that I realized right away was that this fear of death and this relief uh, when facing death is something that is shared by people all over the world. This is not just a Western thing. I mean, I've talked to people from 20, 30 countries and, you know, they say that this is a message that resonates with them because, again, you know, death is universal. So the trip was a, a big thing that I did with, it was a blast. Let me tell you, I visited, I don't know, around 13 countries. I traveled all around the world and then I came back and I tried to stay back in Austin for a little while. And then I was like, you know what? My dog got cancer at that time. And I was like, I'm going to take my dog on a road trip <laughs> because I don't know how long my dog has. Nice. Luckily she, uh, we were able to get the cancer and, and she's, she's still by my side today. But it's just a sense of urgency that I had to not put my dreams off. And it's the same thing with this project. And then as far as the micro changes, which I think are, in fact, more meaningful because those are the moments that make up our lives. An example I'll use is just this past Sunday. For example, my parents, I hadn't seen them in several weeks and they said, hey, come up you know, please come visit us. We want to hang out with you. We want to have lunch, but they live, they live about 45 minutes away. And I was feeling particularly lazy that Sunday and I was just not wanting to go anywhere or do anything. And so I had this inner battle with myself and that was, oh, I don't know if I want to drive all the way up there. I want to see them, but like, maybe I'll do it next weekend when I have more time. And then all of a sudden it just struck me. And I said, you know what? no, I'm going to go today. I don't know if they're going to be around next week. I don't know if I'm going to be around next week. So I'm going to prioritize something that's important to me. And that's my family. Not only does it make them feel good that I'm putting my attention and time with them, but it makes me feel good to be around people that I love and who mm -hmm. love me. Mm -hmm. So I got in the car <laughs> and I drove the 45 minutes and we had a lovely afternoon, just simple, normal stuff. It was nothing special. But if I did die on Monday or if I did die or if someone, you know, a tragedy happened, you know, later on, I would know and I would feel good that I had prioritized what's important to me. 
And so it's little things like that, you know, letting people know that you love them instead of just assuming it, showing that love, finding meaning in your life and manifesting that in different ways. Mm. Those are the little changes that will make up the greater satisfaction of your life when you look back. Mm. That's awesome. So before any of this, did you have a spiritual background at all? Did you pray? Did you meditate? Or do you come from a secular household? What is your background? Hey there. So are you interested in starting a meditation practice? Do you already have a meditation practice, but you feel like it's flagging? Let me introduce you to the Meditation for Life mini course, your guide to discovering the positivity, balance, and the ocean of calm that's already inside you. As you know, on this podcast, we interview people who have, in many respects, discovered that ocean of calm for themselves. And through our Meditation for Life mini course, we're really trying to provide you with the tools that are going to give you the ability to tap into that same positivity and balance and calm inside of yourself. Really, it's a way to discover a sustainable source of daily happiness. It's self-paced, and it's going to take you on a journey and give you some really essential tools. So... We're talking a simple course here. It's like five in-depth lessons, five guided meditations, a couple beautiful infographics, a meditation challenge. But basically, if you can imagine what it would feel like to walk into work, for example, feeling light and free and ready for anything, if you can imagine being ready to manage family disputes with calm presence or to stop beating yourself up, and start caring more for the most important person in your life, you. So let's be clear up front. It doesn't take a lot of time, but if you invest a little every day, meditation can change your life. It's like learning any new skill. It gets a little easier each time. When you meditate every morning for 10 to 15 minutes, you'll notice things starting to change because every day you're doing the inner work, the hardest work first. You'll start your day generating focus, clearing your mind, and establishing a confident and grounded center. So remember, I love this quote. The great filmmaker David Lynch says, the thing about meditation is you become more and more you. So what are you waiting for? Join us. Check out the Meditation for Life mini course over at aboutmeditation.com. So before any of this, did you have a spiritual background at all? Did you pray? Did you meditate? Or do you come from a secular household? What is your background? I was brought up Catholic, went to Catholic school in Iowa. (laughs) Yeah. And then uh, switched over to public school when we moved to Southern California. So, yeah, I was brought up Catholic and could always see the benefits in organized religion, but also, of course, the drawbacks. So I was never the person that was like, oh, organized religion is is completely terrible. You know, I would always think 
you know, there is a lot of good here. And, and I personally believe that there's many things that obscure that good in some cases, but there's a lot of good. Yeah. And so I didn't have a strong meditation or religious background, even though I was brought up Catholic, I was largely secular throughout, throughout, you know, my adult life. And, um, once I did have this, this realization, I, and I went on the trip, I ended up just going on like a meditation jamboree mm. <laughs> all over the world. I went to, first I went to a meditation retreat in Northern Bali run by this wonderful German woman who said that she had used to do, um, back in the seventies, I believe she was actually, uh, something to the effect of a psycho or I'm sorry, a psychedelic therapist where she would, you know, meet with an individual who, who needed some care. She would prescribe a course of psychedelics with them. She would take them carefully through that experience and then do follow-up treatment as well. And she had said that she had done that for many years. And then she wanted to, um, she ended up leaving that profession and starting the meditation retreat because she wanted to bring that experience through natural ways, mm. through breathing exercises mm -hmm. and, you know, ecstatic dance. And, and um, she actually does aqua healing as well, which is a wonderful experience. And now she has this wonderful retreat in Northern Bali. And that was my first experience of being able to heal myself in a lot of ways with meditation. And then I went on to do a 30-day yoga and meditation program in India. I did a Zen Buddhist meditation program in Southern Japan um, and, and several other yoga retreats. And so I became very curious about tapping into the source energy and the answers and the peace that we have within ourselves um, after I had the the realization and in which I became very aware of my mortality and it was a, a freeing aspect in my life. So do you do you feel like those sort of immersions in meditation complemented or enhanced, enriched or like complexified your perspective on all this? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. I, I think that we, you know, some of the lessons in meditation are certainly mindfulness. Um, letting go was a big, was a big yeah. aspect of my healing. I was so like caught on to this fear of, of death and the fear of the unknown. And, you know, I read several different books, including some of the books by Michael Singer. I read The Power of Now. And just this idea that we have the power to let go of the things which do not serve us and being able to meditate on that and appreciate the challenge that we have in life because challenge is non-negotiable and in fact can really make the sweet of our lives even sweeter. Mm. Uh, those are some of the lessons that I learned in meditation and um, certainly this idea of being mindful with death. It's not easy. I am not a believer that you can overcome fear. I don't personally like that statement when talking about death or really about anything. Uh, Elizabeth Gilbert wrote, wrote about this very well in her book, Big Magic, in which she said something to the effect of, imagine you're going on a road trip. You know, you've got, you've got your, your map, you've got your plan and, and you've got, you know, creativity is in the passenger seat, but fear is, is standing out there and, the, and fear is like, Hey, you know what? I, I got to go on this too. This is scary. This is if you're writing a book or going on a trip or changing your life or entering in a meditation practice, the fear, the fear is there and you can't drive away without fear because you'll just be kidding yourself. So you've got to let fear get in the back seat 
And you can say to fear, hey, you're along on this trip because you have to be. I understand. But guess what? You can't look at the map. You can't tell us where to go. And you definitely cannot touch the radio. You'll just be back there. And that was just a beautiful way, I think, of when thinking about fear of death or really anything in life, that fear is a natural human emotion and the idea that we can, we can completely overcome it, especially a fear of death, which is probably one of, if not the only universal fear that mankind has, it's just not a thing. And so meditation has been instrumental in helping me accept that fear is okay. And it's can actually be very instructional as well. Mm. That, that's great. It brings to mind, uh, what was the Pixar film? Was it Inside Out? With, yes. Where it's like, you know, the big aha moment was when Joy was like okay with sadness. And she realized, oh, f- to, be, to be happy, I have to, I have to make room for sadness because, you know, they go together in the human. And I, that's, that's what I was thinking about when you were talking about fear. It's, you know, it's an organic, naturally arising part of our psyche and our being. And yeah, I think, I think you said it really well. I, um, I just couldn't help thinking about that film when you were talking about it. I know, it was so beautiful. Yeah. And they're all up there in the control room, right? All the emotions and they're all fighting to have control of that joystick. But we have some, we have some control over how much, um, all of their hands get on the joystick and if fear will get its hand on it very often, but the important thing is to, to not let it get in the driver's seat. Right. Excellent. All right. Well, so can you say a little bit about since that initial inflection point for you, what would you say in the last four years has changed in terms of your perspective in relationship to this, in relationship to you might die tomorrow and that that whole context? Well, I always like to say that perspective is a hell of a drug <laughs> and it is my favorite drug. Yeah. And that is, I think, the ultimate change that I've seen in my life is that just like we were talking about fear is sort of something that's always going to be there. I don't know anyone that is, you know, truly in a state of perpetual happiness without any moments of desperation, sadness, uh, fear, anger. You know, these again are natural human emotions, but so we can't really get away from those. And so one of the major shifts in my life has just been a sense of perspective Mm. when things are good, when things are bad, and certainly on time. When we get in these periods, actually, I just got back from a very long trip. I was out, I was away from my house for five weeks and I got back and I was sort of jarred back into reality. And I went into a little bit of a, man, I didn't really know how to handle it. And I was a little bit sad. And I just started to have this perspective of, you know, time and, and urgency. And if I were to die tomorrow, how would I feel about how I'm, how I'm spending my time now? And it's not a silver bullet, right? Depression is real. Grief is real. It's not that you can think about death and then all of a sudden everything just evaporates away, but it does because in death, there's so many shifts that happen. It's this insane clarity that we can get. And that's where we'll talk in a little bit about the deathbed meditation, which is tapping into this 
source of perspective and clarity that we all have within us. And so when we are having a difficult time in our lives, uh, to, to take perspective and sometimes if I'm having a bad day now, these days, I'll just, you know, if I'm outside, I'll go outside and I'll look up at the sky. And if I'm inside, I'll just close my eyes and put my hand over my heart and feel my breath, feel my heart beating. And I'll just force a small smile on my face and say, you know what, of all of this stuff, I'm alive. And that's a, been a wonderful mm. source of perspective mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. because we all have dentist appointments and people who cut us off on the road or whatever the thing is that annoys you. But having a sense of perspective, which I believe is very easily sought through death, because in death, this junk does not matter. <laughs> we will not remember the person that cut us off and we will not remember yeah. you know, the time that we had a bad hair day. And, and no one else things. will either. And no one else will. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, an example of that is yesterday I had a, I did a video interview for someone who was interested in, in the, you might die tomorrow concept and talking to me. And so something came over me and the night before the interview, I decided to color my hair. Well, it turned out pretty close to like orange and I had to redo it two times. And so it's like 1230 in the morning and I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I have to do this interview. My hair looks terrible. What did I do? I made such bad decisions. This was just so ill-advised. And then I had this moment of like, Kate, you're doing an interview about how you might die tomorrow. Who cares what your hair looks like? You are not going to remember this. And so that was just like, after that, I was like, you know what? It is what it is. Let's just go on. Like, this is not anything to get my underwear in a twist about. And so those are some of the positive impacts that I've made. And I have the death, the longer deathbed meditation, but the short version is this two second meditation that I do. And I'd be happy to share that with you if you're interested. Yes, absolutely. And Mm -hmm. I want to get into that, but not quite yet. I still have a few more questions and then I really want to go into the deathbed meditation stuff. Beautiful. So you said, and I love the way you framed this, you said we all live with a terminal condition. And yeah, we all live with or in a terminal condition. And so this made me think about something like the Dalai Lama talks about. And I wondered if you could talk a bit about the context and perspective in the West related to aging and dying. So as the as the Dalai Lama has pointed out in our society particularly in the west our culture fears and avoids aging and dying for the most part thinking about it talking about it and you know it's an insult to say to someone you look old whereas like in Tibet or in other eastern cultures age is a sign of wisdom and generally commands respect and the, you know not not as obviously not hard and fast because that's not always deserved as a rule, but it, but it highlights like a key cultural difference there. And I think one that might help pinpoint why something like your deathbed meditations might be so important. And, you know, even why you had those panic attacks to begin with, because our cultural conversation around this isn't very evolved. Out, sp- sp- particularly outside of a religious context. So obviously, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a deep religious or spiritual practitioner, you may have, and not even necessarily, but you may have 
more kind of context for talking about that. But could you just, could you speak about that sort of cultural, what I would, I guess, categorize as a cultural uh, deficiency or aversion? Absolutely. And I think it is certainly regional, like you said, sort of Eastern versus Western yeah. to make a generalization. But I think it's also, it's changed over time. And I feel that there's been a lot of cultural implications that have contributed to this shift in denying death, as many psychologists call it. Um, and I remember when I first came up with this concept of you might die tomorrow, and I, I just felt so free, and I felt so light. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, I'm the first person to ever think about this before. Huh. Well, obviously, I was extremely naive, every philosopher, every author, there's thousands of modern and old songs. I mean, and every human really at some point has contemplated their mortality. Um, but in my initial Google searches, I came upon an article written in a mainstream news. I think it was perhaps the New York Times about um, thinking about your death five times a day, which is a core practice of the the Buddhism that's practiced in Bhutan. Mm -hmm. And so what they do is is part of their daily prayer to consider just even for a moment uh, their death five times throughout the day, every single day. And they do that as a practice of joy, in fact. And when I read that, it just really resonated with me. And one of the quotes that has really affected me and I, I keep in my proverbial pocket all the time is the one from Rumi, which is, I am not this hair, I am not this skin, I am the soul that lives within. Because though we are all mortal, uh, you know, it is our soul that's really the profound parts of ourselves. Mm. And and so that's why I say it, it seemed like over time it has changed. And there's some wonderful books out there that talk a lot about the anthropology of death and how many cultural, many cultures, like you said, handle aging as a celebration and dying as a celebration. And that can be looked at in burial practices and, you know, a party versus a funeral. And in the U.S., it's become very somber and we're very far removed from from the actual act of dying. Once someone dies, their body is generally immediately taken away and put in the hands of professionals, which are, you know, the funeral, the funeral home. And we have very little to do or say as far as being with the body. There is a new, very uh, exciting new movement uh, for natural burials and, and like a slower death, which is being with the body after dying. And people, many people think, is that even legal? Can we do that? Um, and absolutely, it is legal. And there's a, certainly a trend towards the cremations are up like, you know, significantly over what they were even 20 years ago. Mm. And so I think that is changing in the U.S. And there are many people like myself who who are interested in this concept of death and seeing how it's affected our lives positively. And I think that can't help but impact the way we actually handle death. I like to think that my the you might die tomorrow concept is largely a commentary on how to live uh, as opposed to how to die, but it is living a good life that contributes to living a good death as well. So I see the opportunity for that changing, though you are absolutely correct. It is not something that is customary in our culture mm. quite yet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this might be a good transition into talking about the deathbed meditations, and it, it's a it's a quote 
And obviously this is in the context which you alluded to, which is there are a lot of traditions, Buddhism being one of them. The Stoics put a huge focus on death too mm-hmm. and contemplating death and really for all the reasons we talked about by to, to provide perspective and um, not to take for granted the the blessing, the gift, the miracle of being alive. But mm-hmm. but uh, this quote from Padma Sambhava from the Tibetan Book of the Dead, I thought might offer a nice transition into talking a little bit about your deathbed meditations. And this quote goes, death holds up an all-seeing mirror, the mirror of past actions to our eyes, in which the consequences of all our negative and positive actions are clearly seen, and there is a weighing of our past actions in the light of their consequences, the balance of which will determine the kind of existence or mental state we are being driven to enter. And obviously I think that's alluding to like the Buddhist cosmology around reincarnation, but I think it could, you could you could interpret that in a like present tense sort of way too, potentially. But so yeah, I read that and I thought a little bit more about your deathbed meditations. And can you first just begin by talking a little bit about the deathbed meditations? What are they? How did you come up with them? Where did that come from? <laughs> and outside of what we were just talking about, a more traditional spiritual context. I haven't really heard of a deathbed meditation. Please tell us about it. Well, first, thank you for sharing that quote. That was beautiful. Great. That's absolutely what I find in in thinking about death, and that's what I hope to bring to people with the deathbed meditation. Mm. And where the deathbed meditation came from was once I had this this epiphany that that death is the source of clarity and perspective and and urgency and joy, I started doing this what I called at the time the two second deathbed meditation, which was once I had tapped into that, I used it uh, this awareness of death and the clarity that we have on our deathbed to make decisions in my life. So if I had a decision to make about something, which I am very predisposed normally to decision paralysis mm. when I don't know what to do, mm. which is I just don't do anything for an embarrassingly long amount of time. <laughs> I can relate. I, needed, I can relate. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> I needed something to light a fire under my butt really is what I needed. Yeah. And so what I started to do was, I mean, it, this could be a, a small decision such as like my thing that I talked about this past Sunday with my parents or a big life decision about should I change my career or whatever. But what I would do is I would just use it as a, a gut check. So it was the the deathbed gut check. And so what I would do is if I was faced with a decision, I would close my eyes for a moment. And this this is really based on how you feel in your gut. You close your eyes and you imagine yourself looking back in the future from your deathbed on the decision that you're trying to make in the present day. And so you imagine yourself from your deathbed saying, hmm, how do I feel at this time when I I have nothing left to care about? I have nothing to prove to anyone. I'm really just sort of objectively looking over my life as it happened from my deathbed. How do I feel about having done, if I had done option A? And for a second, you just 
how did, how did that feel in your gut? Did you feel regret? Did you feel excitement? And then you perform that same really brief exercise for option B again, you know, how do I feel about this looking back? And you feel that, that sense that you get of intuition, such strong intuition that we have in our, in our gut. And it's very, it's amazing. Like I have found, at least for myself, that I feel it in my gut. It's so hard to sometimes tap into what we feel in our intuition because we get so like just overwhelmed with all of the small little details that are probably pretty insignificant, but in death, on our deathbed, all of that seems to fall away. And so by thinking about a decision that you have in your life from the perspective of your deathbed, if even for just two seconds and feeling how you feel in your gut, did that feel good looking back having made that decision or did it feel better with option B? I found it to be a really remarkable way to make decisions quickly in life. And that was the genesis of the longer meditation, which yeah. I'll get into. So you actually then, okay, so you started to actually... Once you experience this radical change in your perspective, then you just started to apply it. You took it and you started to apply it to sort of daily quandaries, particularly important life decisions, and it provided you with clarity. Absolutely. It was something that pretty quickly, as soon as I accepted um, the reality of death and the positive in influence it can bring to my life, it just became something that that I would just close my eyes and, and use as a way to make decisions and became, yeah, just like you said, a part of, a part of my everyday life. Mm. That's awesome. I, I love it. And so then after that, I started thinking about, about a way that, that I could make that more profound. And so I started doing my own deathbed meditations where once in a while, as I was meditating, I would, I would imagine myself on my deathbed and I would, you know, look back over my life and observe again from that objective stance of, of being at the end of life, how I felt about the way I was living my life currently. And so that um, once I study was starting to study quite a bit of Buddhism and the mortality awareness meditations that are written all throughout the Tibetan book of living and dying, just mm -hmm. as you brought up, then I started Googling around and looking for, I was like, surely someone else has done this and I can just be a facilitator of someone else's deathbed meditation. And I couldn't really find very much. I found many articles talking about meditating on death, but I didn't really find a framework to do it. And so I just decided to write my own and I've been doing it for about a year and a half now and I've continued to improve upon it as I go. But the general format is it's for the everyday person. It can be for someone who is completely inexperienced and a non meditator, or it can be someone who is a, a more experienced meditator. But what it is, is it's essentially a deathbed visualization. So in a very safe place, uh, mentally, I guide people to visualize themselves on their deathbeds. And I mean, it's very visual and it's very uh, personal, right? So I don't prescribe what that looks like to anyone because it's it's very personal. It could be your safe space might be a shack on the beach or your safe space may be your room at your parents' house. It, it could be anything. And then from there, once you're in that safe space, we have the opportunity to look over our lives from that objective stance and we go when we start, you know, through our childhood and our family and the important people in our lives. And then we come to the present day and we're given just this rare opportunity from our deathbed to consider how are we living today and are we finding a sense of meaning in our lives? 
and you know we go through this this life review and then we we then close the meditation by thinking about if you were given the gift of more time what would you do differently and that is something that is very rare because that is not typically the answer or the question that we are able to ask ourselves on our deathbed. So to bring these two things together, which is the perspective on our life from our deathbed, and then the ability to make positive change in our lives based on the urgency that we feel and the reflection and perspective that we've had in this meditation, people feel very inspired. And it's been really profound to see the impact that this has had on, on people's lives. How many of these deathbed meditations have you done with people one-on-one? So I do them either in person, in groups. I also do them one-on-one, and then I do them virtually. So I've probably had over 100 participants just over the course of the year. And my goal for the coming year in 2019 is to bring this experience to many, many more people and focus on it. Because initially I was like, oh, I'll do this thing and I'll see how people respond. And it's been such a profoundly positive response that it's become a much more central part of my You Might Die Tomorrow project. Mm. And I want to bring this to more people. And this is something you don't need me for, right? Like whether you're an experienced meditator or not, you could craft your own version of a deathbed meditation. But I think that I enjoy bringing that experience to to others and you know the deep research that I've done around the philosophy of mortality awareness the psychology of mortality awareness and the personal experience that I that I have had around being a person who didn't think about death then being very afraid of death to now just feeling very very open and inspired by the positive impact that my mortality awareness has had on my life. Um, It's something that I'm very excited to share with people. That's beautiful. Can you say a little bit about some of the particular experiences you've had leading the deathbed meditations? What have been some of the more moving or really surprising experiences you've had with people? What didn't you expect? What were you not prepared for when you started doing this? Man, there's there's some really unique stories uh, because I only had my own experience to consider when I started. And then typically when I do the meditation in groups or even one-on-one, after the meditation, which is about 20 to 30 minutes, we circle up and there's a very open and, and caring space to share what was your experience. So where was your deathbed? right? Like that's, that's something that you create on your own in your own mind based on some cues that I give. And that's been really quite interesting to learn where are people's deathbeds and they're everywhere, everywhere from a parent's home to uh, one of the more recent meditations I did said, my, my deathbed is actually not a real place. This meditation guided me into a place that I had, had experienced in a, in a psychedelic experience that I had had a very profound one in my life. And I was taken back to that place and they had never expected to have the opportunity to go back there. So the deathbed location is completely subjective. Um, What's also been interesting is very early on, I had an aspect of the meditation that was pretty heavily centered on who, who was there and saying goodbye. And I have minimized that because of the feedback 
that I've gotten, which I always do a survey after in order to find out what was meaningful to people, what was not meaningful, you know, how could, how could this be improved? Um, but many people said that, that they were alone at their moment of death and that they felt very safe in that. And that, you know, thinking about, oh, I should, should I have people there around me was a little bit of a source of anxiety. And so I've tweaked that to, to better serve the fact that there are all many experiences of who is and is not there at the present moment. And there's been one experience that was very unique was there was a woman who took part in the meditation about eight months ago, and she had created this wonderful scene where she felt very safe, the room in which her deathbed was at that time. And she did have a visual of a person who was there. And it was a person who from her childhood took care of her for many years. When we were circled up after, she said, I thought that I hated her. She said, I thought that I did not like this woman, but in the moment that I needed the most comfort in my life when I was on my deathbed, she appeared to me. And it just shows that the unexpected clarity that we can get from from having that and the life changes that I've seen in people are probably the most profound, Um, not only from just the You Might Die Tomorrow concept in general, but the meditations. People have written me and there are many people who are (laughs) in different countries right now as a result of thinking about they might die tomorrow because travel is something that many of us uh, have on our bucket list, if you will. There's a lot of people who said that they feel much more comfortable and at ease in life as a result of, you know, inviting mortality into their lives. People who, like I mentioned earlier, have made small changes in the way they live and they love as a result of remembering their own mortality and so whether it's a big change that people have made, change many people have, have left their jobs that they felt were, you know, detracting or out mm-hmm. of alignment with their soul mm-hmm. and going on trips and starting businesses and writing their own books or little changes, you know, spending more time with their kids, being out in nature more often, just having a sense of gratitude wash over you once in a while for being alive these are the small and macro changes, as you said, that I've seen people from either participating in the meditation or even just being exposed to the idea that we might die tomorrow. Mm. Wow. The whole thing is very moving. (laughs) (laughs) I think so too. There's another quote here from the Tibetan book of living and dying, which you mentioned before in terms of your research, but one that helped me again, in a certain way, it's focused a little bit more, I think on the why, why focus on your mortality. And I wonder if you could comment on this quote. It's a little bit longer, but I think it's, it's worth reading. And he says, perhaps the deepest reason why we are afraid of death is because we do not know who we are. We believe in a personal, unique, and separate identity, but if we dare to examine it, we find that this identity depends entirely on an endless collection of things to prop it up. Our name, our biography, our partners, family, home, job, friends, credit cards. It is on their fragile and transient support that we rely for our security. So when they are all taken away, will we have any idea of who we really are? Without our familiar props, we are faced with just ourselves, a person we do not know, 
an unnerving stranger with whom we have been living all the time, but we never really wanted to meet. Isn't that why we have tried to fill every moment of time with noise and activity, however boring or trivial, to ensure that we are never left in silence with this stranger on our own? Mm. And in death, all of that is stripped away. Right. And it can be jarring. Anytime you have a realization that the life you're living is out of alignment with what is meaning, meaningful to you, or you're suddenly acutely aware of time and the passage of it, it can be, it can be jarring. But I think that what can we do about the past? Not much. And what can we do about the future is we can, we can live it now. And so when my friend died and I had this realization, I could have gone down the same path of being even more afraid of death and wrap myself more in a job that was unfulfilling to me and, you know, the shopping habit that I had and and all of these, these things that we do to distract ourselves. But if we just invite it into our life, then it takes the pressure off or it can take the pressure off at least And the time is going to pass whether we worry about it or not. And I really loved the part of the quote where it said, essentially, we don't we don't know what we're doing here. And so we talked a little bit about stoicism and how the stoics were some of the first to bring mortality awareness to the forefront of the mind of humanity. Mm -hmm. And then we have the Epicureans who are decidedly more saccharine sect who are said, I I subscribe to them a bit more, which is we're going to die, but let's have fun while we're here. Yeah. And we don't know why we're here. Many of us may subscribe to religions or beliefs that explain why we're here, and that's perfectly fine. But at the end of the day, I don't know that we have proof of, of any of that. And so... You know, the fact that we are spinning on a rock at top speed and we're essentially stardust on that rock and there are billions and trillions of people who have lived before us and we hope many who will live after us, the trivial aspect of our existence might affect our ego negatively. But if you can get past that, it's so freeing to think that this stuff doesn't matter that much. And we don't know why we're here. So why not do something enjoyable? And why not do something that makes you and your fellow man feel good and, and loved now? And so that is, um, that is what I take from, from the, the illusions that, that so many of us have. And it still comes up for me. I am not a, you know, I am no one's guru. And I certainly, uh, you know, I had my hair episode the other night where I set myself in a tailspin because I had bad hair. But that stuff, we're able to, if you're able to have perspective on it and and accept that this stuff doesn't matter. And in some ways we don't matter in the grand, grand scheme of things, but to enjoy our experience while we're here that can be that can be very freeing and open up doors to new levels of meaning that many of us haven't experienced yet. Yeah. Well, I think in particular, you know, I I I resonate with that in terms of opening up doors to new forms of meaning and it, it seems to me when I when I read that quote by Sogyal Rinpoche, 
it seems to me he's pointing to the need or, or the necessity for a, some sort of confrontation with yourself, mm-hmm. which to see through a lot of these, as you said, illusory, uh, I guess to use Buddhist terms, attachments uh, or, mm-hmm. or props, you need, and I know you have a limited time here with the, the room reservation, but uh, just almost here at the end, but like to kind of see through these or come to some sort of point, or at least what he's pointing to, a more absolute reckoning. It seems like for you, that really happened in, in the kind of the confrontation, at least on some level, with your own mortality. And, you know, it, it obviously rocked you. It kind of shook you out of something. And that also seems like what you've then codified in terms of the emergent perspective that you had into these, you've codified them in some way into these deathbed meditations, which do seem to me like they could be an effective tool, again, for like what Sogil was pointing towards of or some sort of reckoning that, you know, it seems to me, like you said, you could do this on your own. Yeah, but there's also something about being guided into it, which I think is, mm-hmm. particularly around a topic like this, very valuable, extremely valuable. You, you, you know, I think you'd want someone who's, you know, been through it themselves, as it were. Yes, and I think one of my favorite parts of the deathbed meditation and just mortality awareness in general is that everyone I believe will, well, we will all die. That's for certain. Yeah. And I think most of us, if not all of us will experience death of people we love at some point in our lives, um, or we may experience terminal illness or, and grief and all of these things. But why can't we take advantage of the source of perspective that we have at our fingertips, which I believe is mortality awareness, the awareness of that we will die and use that as a way to transform our lives and our our perspective, as opposed to waiting around for someone that we love to die. Yeah. Right. Why do we have to wait for ourselves to get cancer, to feel an urgency to live? We have this tool. Every person shares it's universal tool. We will all die. This is all something that we can tap into to affect our lives while we are still here. And when I started this project, I was very apprehensive about sharing the idea with people who do come in contact with death, healthcare providers, Mm. people Mm. who actually have terminal illness, first responders, hospice workers, because I thought, oh my gosh, they're so always preoccupied with death. And I'm going to come here with a pithy, you might die tomorrow, so live today. And so I was very (laughs) apprehensive at first. (laughs) Yeah, like they're going to laugh at me. Yeah, is this a trope or a trite? Yeah. And yeah, trite, exactly. And you know what? Those people, people with terminal illness, healthcare workers, they have been over the course of the three years, the biggest fans of You Might Die Tomorrow, because you know why? The rest of us can pretend, we can hide, we can hide from the idea that we might die tomorrow. But those people, they know it. To finally hear someone say it in a way that's plain and clear and is just unafraid is so refreshing to them. And and I think in the particular case of healthcare workers have, has given them a framework to 
deal with the death and the tragedy that they experience every yeah. day. And so now I'm like, I don't care who you are. I'm going to tell you that you might die tomorrow. Beautiful. I, I think that's an awesome note to end on. And I think, would you share with everyone how they can follow up with you? Like talk about some of your resources and point people in the direction so that they know how to get those resources or be in touch with you, et cetera. Yes, absolutely. So uh, I started this uh, with a website, and that is the main source of all things today. So it's youmightdietomorrow.com. And for the past year and a half, I've been working on the You Might Die Tomorrow book, which is will be finished and ready to go out into the world uh, at the beginning of 2019. So it's almost done, and you can sign up for pre-order for the book on the website. Uh, if you're interested in having me facilitate a deathbed meditation, whether that be in person in Austin, in person in another city, or by video chat, um, you can fill out a get in contact with me on the website. There's a whole section related to the deathbed meditation, and I'd be happy, thrilled to be able to bring that experience to those who are open to it. Um, and then certainly I'm uh, active on social with reminders of death and the passage of time and how life is such a beautiful place to be uh, on particularly on Facebook and, and Instagram. Nice. And they should look for Kate Manser on Facebook or you might die tomorrow.com on Facebook or what, where should they? Yeah. Yeah. I'm um, both actually, but most of the content is on Facebook and Instagram at you might die at the, the handle you might die tomorrow. Cool. And I just recently did a art installation at Burning Man uh, in last last month, and it's been just really wonderful. It was the first time, other than the sticker, that I really put a huge message. It was an eight-foot-tall by eight-foot-wide sign of You Might Die Tomorrow against the, against the horizon, and it's been really wonderful to see people's reactions since then. And it's everything from You Might Die Tomorrow, Go Party Today, to just really <laughs> profound meditations on life as well. Go party today. That's great. <laughs> yeah, you got to have fun. Oh, right? yeah. We don't know why we're here, so we might as well enjoy ourselves. That's sweet. And everyone, it's really, it is a, it's like a big metal sign, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, exactly. It's awesome. It was a lot of fun. And, and just hearing the stories of people uh, as they stopped by and just observing people interacting with it has been really, really wonderful. Sweet. All right, Kate. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This was awesome, and I can't wait to kind of get this out far and wide. And and uh, thank you for this awesome work that you're doing. Thank you, Morgan, for having me on and for connecting me with your meditation community. And uh, next time we're we're both in decision paralysis, we can do the two second gut check and figure out what the heck we're going to do with our lives. Hell yeah! <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Kate Manser from youmightdietomorrow.com. I really encourage you to go check out her site at youmightdietomorrow.com. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and a review over on iTunes. That is, without question, the biggest way to support our show. It really helps introduce the One Mind Meditation Podcast to other aspiring or seasoned meditators. 
And check out our site over at aboutmeditation.com. We've got courses to help you learn how to meditate. And we guarantee if you take our courses, you will learn how to meditate. So pick up our free course over there. We've got a free uh, Meditation for Life mini course with some guided meditations. And if you like that, then you'll probably enjoy some of our paid courses as well. So check those out. And because... There were so many awesome quotes in that interview. I'm just going to leave off and really encourage you to follow up with Kate. Okay, take care, and I will talk to you next time.